Welcome to Element, the student ministry of Third City Christian Church. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students. Hey, we're in this series called Colossal Living, and tonight I get the opportunity, the privilege, the honor, and the challenge of showing you, of trying to help you see how colossal Jesus Christ is. It is quite the task. Tonight we're looking at Jesus and, and the fact that he is more that we could have ever hoped for, that we ever could have dreamed of, or that we ever could have imagined. And scripture that we read just a moment ago made some pretty bold claims. It claimed that he was the direct representation of God himself, that he was there in creation and it happened through him, that he is the spiritual gravity that holds our entire reality that we wake up and he holds it together saying that he's the champion that saves us from evil. And with all of that grandeur, with all of that colossal character, he chose to come down to earth and walk among us and humbled himself to be spit on by humans and to be beaten and torn to pieces by soldiers and to put a cross on his back on those open wounds and drag it to a hill that he created to be put to death on that hill by the people he created, but then rose from the dead for those people. Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. He is colossal in the way that he saves us. And so here's what I hope for you tonight, that Jesus is so much more, like I think we do this, I think we put Jesus in a box, and I think we say, you can just stay in here, Jesus, that's where I'll keep you, and I'll put this under my bed, I'll put it on the shelf, and I'll just say, you just stay in that little box right there. That's where I want you to be. But tonight I hope you see that he is so much more and that we need to take him out of the little box that we have put him in and put him in the grand spot in our lives and our realities that he deserves. I'm gonna pray. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for being the colossal savior we needed. Thank you for teaching me so much about who you are. I am so uh, imperfect, and you are so perfect. I pray for the students in here that have no idea who you are, or maybe have heard one or two things about you that they see the whole picture tonight. And God, I'm just a human trying to explain a God of the universe. I pray that you would give me the words to say that would help us understand how huge and important you are. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So a good starting point, I'm going to move this before I kick it, a good starting point when we're talking about Jesus is, is he real? Like, was Jesus even real? That's a great place to start this conversation, because if you don't know if he's real, what are we even talking about? So you might be here tonight saying, was he even real? That's a great question, and I value that question. I don't think you're stupid for asking that question. The answer to your question summed up a, a lot of research, here's the answer. No credible scholar that is cited for their work that takes themselves seriously is arguing whether or not, whether they're Christian or an atheist, they're not arguing whether Jesus lived or not, or whether he walked this planet or not, or was real. Nobody's arguing that, that is a credible scholar. What they're arguing about is whether he is God or not. So is he real? Yes, he is. The second question that would be a really good question in this series is, did he really die? Because if he didn't really die and then he just ran around the countryside afterwards saying he rose from the dead, then that's a whole different story, right? 
Did he really die? Was he really put to death on that cross? Here's the summary of a lot of research. The Journal of the American Medical Association, not Parker, but the Journal of the American Medical Association did a review of the historical data, the historical data, and said that clearly Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side that it was inflicted. See, they stabbed him with a spear to make sure he was dead on the cross before they took him down. And that wound, by the way, would have punctured his heart and his lungs in that moment. So did he die? Yeah. Yeah, the evidence shows that he died. And then the third good question when you're approaching Jesus, who he is, why he matters, is did he really rise from the dead? Was the resurrection convincing? And our whole faith teeters on this, okay? Did he rise from the dead on his own power? First, those who put him to death didn't have the body to prove otherwise. You following me? So like all the people that put him to death had to do was take his body out of a grave and go, here's the God you say rose from the dead. Shut up. Here he is. Stop it with this whole resurrection thing. But they couldn't do that because there was no body to be found. They weren't able to do that. So what they did is they blamed the Jesus followers for stealing the body. But you would have to have a hard doubt, and it would be very hard to believe that, and you would have to look at the history about that because it shows otherwise. Because they were in towns, towns away. Like if, if the crucifixion happened here in Grand Island, they were in Kearney already. And they were running because they were afraid that they too were next to be crucified. You understand? So them like getting through Roman soldiers to steal a body seems pretty, pretty unreal. And they're hiding. They're not performing spec ops missions on Roman soldiers guarding tombs in the middle of the night. These were fishermen. They were not military. Also, over 500 people saw Jesus alive after his crucifixion. And if this reporter was lying, who said 500 people saw him, those people were still alive in the time that they were making these claims that they could have come forward and said, no, we didn't. Nobody saw that. Nobody saw Jesus. But here's what happened. History. This is what happened. Instead of people coming forward saying, we didn't see Jesus, more people came forward following Jesus. You see that? Instead of people coming forward and saying, we didn't see Jesus risen from the dead, they came forward and were saying, we too are Christians now. We believe it. We've seen it with our own eyes. Hard to explain that other than the resurrection was convincing. And this event they'd seen with their own eyes, like hardly good men would die for a good plan. But a scoundrel definitely wouldn't die for a lie. And they were being put to death for their faith. So if you were asking, is the resurrection convincing? I would say, looking at the evidence, yeah, it's pretty convincing. And why does all this matter to us? It's because if Jesus is the God that he says he is, that means that the reality that we wake up in the reality you are currently sitting in was made by him. The air you breathe, the sunsets you see, the music you hear, it was all created by him, for him, and is returning to him. The colossal Jesus is the master builder of our reality. And this makes him incredible. See, we tend to put Jesus in that little box, right? We tend to put Jesus in, in kind of the the history box and say, okay, well, thanks for doing that back then, Jesus. I'm just going to put you in this box and say, 
thanks for doing us a favor. I don't know if I'll ever interact with you or you are worthwhile. I'm just going to put you in this box, put it on the shelf. We also put him in just human box. He's just a human. Like he, he was just a guy that was a really good teacher that got some help from God to do a few cool magic tricks while he was here. We'll put him in that box. We'll say that's, that's who Jesus is. Or we'll put him in the Wednesday night box. We'll show up here on a Wednesday night. We'll put him in that box and say, this is the only place that he exists, is right here on Wednesday nights. Not in my house, not in my school, not when I'm out driving around on Friday nights. He doesn't exist then. He only exists here. Try to get this. Take him out of the little box that you've put him in just for tonight. I want you to start listening, and I want you to open your minds and take him out of that box. And I want to show you how far beyond that box he exists. How colossal he truly is. Because he holds this whole reality that you're waking up in together. He's the glue. He's this spiritual gravity that holds us and makes us. Jesus is the reality and he's the reason for the reality. Jesus is the reason for the reality because he's the main character of the story. And this is the next thought I want you to get is that he's the main character. It's like this whole earth, this universe thing, he's the main character. He's the champion. He's the big deal. I want you to see this. This blew my mind when I first heard this. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. So now, I want you to understand something. When John was using this phrase, the word, he was being philosophically and socially crafty. He is going bold. He uses this phrase loaded with colossal implications because in the Greek, in the original language that he wrote this, the, the, the phrase the word was translated as the logic, the logos, the, the all. It was saying, like philosophers at the time would have recognized that phrase and said, he's claiming that this person is the God particle, that they are the fix-all, that they are the cure-all. This is a huge huge statement. But he doesn't just reel it in and like put it in there once. He puts it in there like nine times, right? And I want you to see this. I put in the word Jesus. I substituted it in so you could see this very clearly. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Jesus and nothing was created except through Jesus. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and Jesus' life brought light to everyone, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus was the big deal. He is the big deal. Jesus is God. And this is why this blows me away every week that we meet, that I say, Jesus loved you so much that he would hang on a cross to die for you, is that he's this colossal creator of the universe that humbled himself to walk beside us in our pain. That's why it's so incredible. Here's the biggest problem I think we have with this thought, is that we here tonight believe that it's all about us and our life. It's all about us. We've been told we're the big deal. We believe that life is all about us, and if someone gets caught up and, and ran over so we could get to where we want to be, so be it. We're the big deal. We're the main character. We would do anything to be the main character. So when we hear that someone else is the main character of this story, when we hear that, we start to ask questions like, why is God so selfish? 
Why, is he, why are we always talking about Jesus? Why can't we talk about me? Or, or why aren't things going the way I want them to? Because you think you're the big deal, right? You think you're the main character. We're afraid that if we're not the main character, we lose value somehow, like it's robbed from us. However, that's not at all the case. That's not at all the case. In fact, it's completely fixed into the plot of history how important your role actually is. For what will make for a pitiful metaphor, here we go, but I hope this helps us see this. The Avengers, right? Okay, Avengers, got it. The main character in that story is not the group of people in the city. The group of the people in the city aren't the big deal, are they? Now, they are the reason that the Avengers are fighting off evil, is to save them, right? But they're not the main character. They're not the, the entire storyline, but they're an incredibly important part of the plot, right? So they're a huge part of the, the plot collectively, but the heroes wouldn't need to be there if the people of the city weren't there. But frankly, the people in the city were helpless to any dark villain that was trying to destroy them, right? They needed a champion. They needed a hero. They needed someone, a champion that would come in and save them from that situation. They're a part of the story, but they're not the main character. See, this colossal Jesus is the main character of our story. He's, he's the, the champion of our story. And I think a lot of us would love to be the main character. We would love that. But at the same time, none of us would love to go through the humiliating torture that Jesus went through. None of us would have the power and the patience to love people the way he did. None of us would have the power to raise ourselves from the dead. We can't be the main character. It can't be all about us. We need a colossal savior. And if you don't believe me that he's the main character, what if I told you tonight that the entire Bible is about Jesus? The entire Bible, the whole thing. Think about it for a second. Let's think about it. If you read anything in the Old Testament, all of it is an echo forward to the logos, to the God particle, to the Savior, the champion coming into the world. God says he's, he's promising that one day he'll walk and dwell with his people. That's Jesus. God promising to one day do that. And then the blood of the lamb being the symbol for the, an exclusion of the wrath of God, the blood of Jesus, excluding us from the wrath of God. He saves us from that judgment. Jonah, three days in the belly of the whale. Jesus, three days in the tomb. You have Moses leading people away from slavery. You have Jesus leading people away from slavery. 40 years in the desert, 40 nights in the desert. You have Abraham being told to sacrifice his son, and in the final moment, a ram was given as a replacement sacrifice so that the child could go free. Jesus is our replacement sacrifice so that we, the children of God, could be set free. And all the prophecies that we read about at Christmas time, talking about Jesus being born in a manger and all of this, that was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene as a human. Like, Jesus was astounded that the Pharisees and the religious scholars and all their studies have missed what Scripture was saying all along, that it's all about him. And he actually tells people this when he is walking down the road after he rose from the dead. This is in Luke chapter 24. Then Jesus said to them, oh, you guys, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, you fools. And slow of heart to trust, believe in everything that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer for these things 
and then only then to be enter into his glory. Then, beginning with Moses and throughout all the writings of the prophets, he explained and interpreted for them the things referring to himself found in all the scriptures. It's all about him. It's all about him. The entire Bible is all about Jesus. He's the main character. He's the beginning. He's the author. He's the forever. Scripture is all about one person, one plan, one goal. That person is Jesus. The plan is redemption. The goal is him glorified. And after he ascended into heaven, Jesus didn't leave us after that resurrection. He's even closer to you today than he was to the people here on earth because he sent something better than him staying here. That was his own words, called the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the guider, the helper, who is alive inside of everyone who has turned on the ignition switch of understanding that God dwells within them as they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not far gone. He's closer than you could have ever imagined. And only, and one day Jesus will return. And he'll bring all the heavens and the new earth and he will be in that reality with us and we will be with him for eternity. He's colossal. And when we realize that the entire story, the, the entire reality is about Jesus, I hope that you see, I hope that you can feel, I hope that you can grasp just how colossal Jesus is, that he doesn't just fit in that little box that we've put him in. John chapter 14 says, Jesus told him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. If you're looking for the meaning of life and the purpose that your life has, you'll find it here. This is where you'll find it. No one comes to the Father except through me. If they really known me, you would have known the Father. From now on, you do know him because you've seen me. Saying, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. You've seen God. So he's the reason that our reality, the champion of our story, and the savior of the world. But what does this mean to us? And this is where I'll land the plane. What does this mean to us? How do we reach out to something that is so colossal? How do we reach out to that? It kind of comes down to this for us. There's this moment in a movie called A Wrinkle in Time. Have you seen it? Yeah, okay. I'd give it a six out of 10. I'd give it a six. Okay, visually thrilling, but the character development, I, I would give it to you on character development. I know they're making a book into a movie, but I have so many questions about these characters. They just kept throwing at you. It's like all of a sudden Oprah pops out and it's like it's supposed to make sense that she's there and you're relieved that she's there. I'm like, who is this person and why does this matter, right? And then you like, I know they're tr it's like they're trying to cram 18 books into two-hour movies and I'm just like, I'm so incomplete in all of this storyline. I'm so incomplete. That's my opinion, I don't know if you share that same opinion. I give it a six. I give it a six. But in this story, there's this moment where evil is trying to catch up to and destroy Meg and Calvin, these two main characters. I should say the main character in the support role. And they find Meg's father in the end, like that's the whole point of it all, right? But evil is chasing them to destroy them, and it's whipping up this odd, like, earthquake, tornado, like, tree-launching, evil something, okay? And it's chasing them down this field. And Meg is obviously infinitely smarter and more knowledgeable than Calvin is in this point. Like, she's completely confident in her understanding of physics. Like, she's sizing up the whole situation, she's seeing it, and she's saying, here's the solution, here's the solution. I got it, I got it. She knows how to get them to safety. She knows how to get them out of that situation, she has all of the knowledge in that situation, and Calvin's just like, we're freaking dead. Like, you can see it in his eyes, the way he's looking at it, right? 
And then Meg looks at Calvin and simply asks, do you trust me? Do you trust me? As if to say, I have all the, I know what's happening. I have the answers, but like, I don't have time to explain it to you. Do you trust me? And Calvin, you can see him starting to like factor up reality, thinking about what they're trying to do, the danger that they're currently in and where they're trying to end up and all of that, and try to not look like he's just peeing his pants, like all at the same time, right? But eventually Calvin decides, okay, in light of this situation, she knows far more than I do. And she's got this under control. I have no idea what to do. And finally he reaches his hand out and he says, I trust you. I trust you. And Meg completely understands the situation and leads them to safety and leads them to their goal of the story eventually. Now this is a shallow comparison, but how much of that is like your life in the situation with Jesus? He's the logos, the God particle, the reason for it all. He's God incarnate. He's this spiritual gravity that's holding it all together. And he's holding out his hand and he's asking, do you trust me? I know how to get us there. I know, I know what it looks like. Trust me, I made it. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And we're kind of like Calvin. Like, by no means do we understand it all. Or do we have all the solutions? Or do we have all the answers, right? But because he's the main character, Jesus is the main character in your situation, you're able to reach back to him a person who's colossally greater than you will ever be, and you could never be. My question is, do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus with wherever he's taking you next, whatever the solution is? Because this, my friends, is the epicenter of what faith is all about, seeing the colossal power of Jesus and being completely aware of your fragility and your limitations and grabbing the hand that he's reaching out, not knowing what's next, not knowing how you're gonna get out of this mess or where you'll end up, but trusting that he knows, you see, that's faith. Hebrews chapter 11, the summary of this verse is beautiful. It says the fundamental fact of existence, do you hear that, our reality, is that this trust in God, do you trust me? This faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. If you're looking for purpose here tonight, do you trust him? By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word, the logos, the logic, the God particle. This colossal Jesus, my question for you tonight is will you trust him with whatever comes next? I'm not asking if you trust an idea. I'm not asking if you trust a made-up superhero. I'm not asking if you trust a man-made religion. I'm asking, do you trust a person, the king of the universe, a colossal king, greater than all other kings, one that could save? There is no other king like him no other king. Thanks for joining Element. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students.